to start off with a word of prayer. Brother Stephen, would Amen. Let's all take your hymn, most total hymn number 179.
Well, amen. Good to be in the Lord's house tonight. It's good to have our favorite airman and wife here. Uh, good to see you, Cole. Lisa. And uh, Cole just got a year older. So good to have them here tonight. Glad they're here. It's good to have Brother Humbert here. Well, it's good to have Miss Lori. He kind of tags along. 
But uh, the preaching's really been good, brother. We appreciated it. Thank you for what the Lord prepared for us. And Amen. I'm looking forward to ice cream and cherry on top. Amen. <laughs> Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 133, the 133rd Psalm. Well, the Bible says that we should enter into his courts with thanksgiving, or into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We can all praise the Lord for something tonight, amen? I mean, it could have been a rough day, could have been a rough week, it could have been a rough month, could have been a rough year. Some of you, it's been a rough life. But the truth is, we can all praise the Lord, and some of you have gotten out of practice, so I think we ought to have a little religious exercise tonight and uh, practice on praising the Lord. So look at the person next to you and repeat after me. Now, some of you didn't get the first instruction. Look at the person next to you. Don't look at me. And repeat after me. Say, I am so glad. Oh, well, wait a minute. That would be good for a nursing home. Okay, let's... Let's take it up a notch, okay? Uh, Put some zeal, some vigor, some passion, like you really mean it. Say, I am so glad glad that I do not not look like you. you. Amen. See, you can praise the Lord for something tonight. How many of you meant that when you said that? Uh, Okay, several of you. Well, amen. Psalm 133. I know I preach way too long. I, I don't know what to do, uh, but I'm going to preach faster tonight. And yet some things I just feel like the Lord's in it and it's important. So, But with our time conscious minds, I'm still going to take the time to read the entire chapter tonight. So if you'll, if you'll read along silently, I'll read out loud. And as we attack... Address this chapter, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity! Exclamation point. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. I want to draw your attention to verse number one for us to get started with. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity! Exclamation! point. In the message tonight, I want to first of all show you the importance of the subject matter of our text. And then I'd like to take a little time to praise the text. But in conclusion, I want to make application, suggest how it can and should be done and maintained here at Shawnee Mission Baptist Church. Did I get that right? Bap Temple. Yeah, Warsaw Trail Baptist Temple, and I still call it church. (laughs) I've been there a long time. But I want to suggest how it can and should be done here. So let's pray about that matter. Father, wow, it just seems like these meetings go so quick. We get to meet new people. We get to refresh some 
previous friendships and acquaintances. I just love the young people in this church, the teenagers especially, for their, for their attention and, and for their uh, alertness in the services. And, and for the attendance all week long has just been so good. And Father, the little children of this church, if I had a bigger car, I'd like to take a couple of them home with us. Father, I just thank you for um, the sweet spirit in this church. Father, we're not interested in just being status quo. We, we want to have the power of your Holy Spirit working in our church. We want to display to this community, to this world, that we have a big God. That He is He's the Almighty God. He can do anything. And so tonight I pray that we would unite our hearts together and, and by faith step out into our world and bring others to Jesus Christ. And if there's someone here tonight that's not saved, there's no way that we could express to them how much we care about them, but we can tell them how much you love them. You sent your only Son, your only begotten Son, to this world to die for their sin, so that they would not have to spend eternity in the regions of the damned. So I pray if there's any souls here tonight without Jesus Christ, that they would, that they would clearly understand the gospel tonight and be saved. Father, we echo the sentiments and the words of the psalmist, Wilt thou not... Revive us again. And for that, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to, first of all, show you the importance of the subject matter of our text. And I think all of you are quick to understand what the subject matter is. It's unity amongst God's people. And even though this is written in the Old Testament, it's not a far stretch for it to apply to the local New Testament church. You are the brethren, are you not? You are, you're in God's family. If you've been saved, you no longer belong to you. You belong to God. And we are brethren. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And God's desire is that we dwell together, not apart, dwell together in unity. And it's so important. And I see the importance in the very first word of the text. Now, my Bible, that word is capitalized in its entirety. I don't know. It may not be true in your Bible. But when I see a word capitalized in its entirety, it captures my attention. It's like, uh, hey, this is really important. I've done that before when I've written notes. Sometimes I'll write a note, and it's not that my whole note is of less importance, but every now and then there's a certain word or certain phrase that I want to emphasize to the reader. I want you to see this. This is what's really important. And when I see the word behold capitalized in its entirety, I think, my word, this has got to be important. But if that's not enough, how many exclamation points do you find in the Bible? Not very many. And here we are, verse number one, 
The word behold is capitalized, and then it's accentuated with the punctuation mark of an exclamation point. This is really important. What does the word behold mean? It means this. Hey, looky up here. That's what behold means. But it'd be way too short of a sermon if we just went on to the next point. So let me illustrate it so that you'll never forget it. A few years ago, I was into the gaming system called Atari. Now, are there any folks in this room that even knows what an Atari system is? Would you? Well, let me qualify that question. Are there any people under the age of 21 that knows what an Atari system is? My word. Where'd you see it? In a museum or a garage sale? Or, I mean, that's going back in the day. I mean, that was a man's game, was it not? I mean, we men know how to play a man's game. An Atari system was made for men. The younger generation today, just a few years ago, do you know what the number one electronic game was? We. Now, how manly is that? I didn't have sons, but I'd have a problem if I came home and my son was on the phone. Hi, Johnny, do you want to come over and we with me? That would bother me. I'm telling you, an Atari system was a man's game. And you say, what, what was so different about it? There were no pause buttons on it. We had to play under pressure. We couldn't stop and go to the bathroom. and We couldn't stop and get a little iced tea. We couldn't stop and call a friend. We couldn't stop and watch a television show. No, we had to perform under pressure. I'm telling you, we men know how to play a man's game. And I know some of you older folks in here, you've already started thinking... I can't believe he calls himself a man of God, wasting his time with electronic games. Could I interrupt your little critical attitude for just a moment? My Atari system was a converted Atari system. Baptists convert everything. And quite frankly, it helped... Develop my spirituality to make me the man of God that I am today. Hallelujah. When the world was playing Pac-Man, I was playing Track-Man. The dots on the board were souls that I was going out to capture for the kingdom of God. While the demons would chase me throughout the world and I'd have to flee from them and run from them. And every now and then they'd get real close and I'd run to one of the four corners of the earth and hit a Pentecostal power pill and boom, they would flee from me. Hallelujah. (laughs) Then the fruit of the Spirit would come dancing across and I'd rack up more rewards. I'm telling you, it helped develop me into the man of God that I am today. One day I was having one of the greatest games of my life. I knew Guinness World Book of Records was going to be at my house wanting my picture and enter my score into their publication. I mean, I'd cleared the board so many times. And and like the worldly version, every time you cleared a board and started over again, the pace picks up and the demons are smarter. They know your little fake-out moves. And and I, I... 
man, I was struggling, man. There, I mean, I'm, my ha- head is pouring down with sweat. My hands are clammy. The joystick I can hardly get a grip on. There's three more souls that I'm trying to reach for the kingdom. And there's no more Pentecostal power pills. I'm in a predicament, and I start to maneuver to go north up to that soul way up there, all by its lonesome. And, and just as I'm about ready to capture them for the kingdom, all of a sudden from the backyard, a blood-curling scream, Daddy! So I ignored her. <laughs> Bible says you can't look back and be worthy. So I, I stayed focused at the task at Hammond, and I moved my way up, and all of a sudden again from the backyard she yelled, Daddy! And I said, oh God, children are the heritage of the Lord. Can't you take care of her? I'm busy right now. And children tend to do things in cadence, so I had it prepared for her next scream, but it didn't come. I thought maybe God had answered my prayer. I started maneuvering up again towards that soul that needed what I had to give him. And all of a sudden, with more decibels at a higher pitch, it startled me. I hit the joystick, ran into the demon. Game over. She ruined the greatest game of track man in the history of the United States of America. <laughs> I turned off the television. I turned off the Atari system. I went to the back door like any godly father would. And I said, what do you want? <laughs> she, she said, come here. Come here, you got to see this. I went out in the backyard, and there she was in her four-by-four sandbox. And in that sandbox was a mound of sand. A mound of sand. She ruined the greatest game of track men in the history of the United States of America to come see a mound of sand. I said, what is it? She said, it's my castle. I said, thank you for bringing me out here. You know what she was saying? She was saying, hey, Dad, there's something exciting out here. It's, it's a miracle. I can't. I can't describe it to you with my vocabulary, and even if I could, you couldn't understand it with your finite mind. But Dad, you'll be a better man if you come and see my castle. Now that's what behold means. That's what behold means. You want to test it out? Behold, a virgin shall conceive. That's exciting. It's a miracle. You can't fully explain it with your human vocabulary. 
nor can you totally understand it with your finite mind. But you'll be a better man. You'll be a better woman. If you see that God sent his son through a virgin. One day John the Baptist said, Hey, 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 ladies and gentlemen. I have something exciting to share with you. I can't fully describe them with with our vocabulary. And quite frankly, you'll never totally understand them with your mind. But you'll be a better man. You'll be a better woman if you come and see the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John's on the Isle of Patmos. He's not there on a Aegean cruise sipping virgin margaritas. He's there doing hard time. And he wrote this, Behold, he cometh in the clouds. Folks, that's exciting. It's a miracle. You can't describe it with our vocabulary. No, you can't, you can't fully understand it with your finite mind. But you'll be a better man, a better woman. If you see him coming in the clouds. God says, unity in the church, it's exciting. In a Baptist church, it's a miracle. You can't fully explain it with your vocabulary and you really can't even totally understand it with your finite mind but you'll be a better man a better woman you'll be a better church if you see unity amongst the brethren in this church i'm just trying to point out to you that unity is very important to god Now, secondly, I said I wanted to take a little time to praise this text. And I'm going to do so using the words in verse number one. I'd like to draw your attention, first of all, to the word good. He said, how good it is. Now, you know that the word good is used interchangeably in the New Testament, especially the New Testament, with the word righteous or right. When God says something is good, it's because it's right. We had five baby girls in five years. I don't know if I mentioned that, but it just feels good to get it off my chest every now and then. (laughs) Now we have 11 grandchildren that visit our house at Christmas, and you know the rest of the story. The prettiest lights at Christmas are the taillights of our kids pulling out of the driveway. And we would tell our daughters, we'd say, go clean your room. And after we'd given them ample time to do so, we would go and check it out. And you say, well, why would you do that? Because people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. That's why accountability is good for all of us. And so we would go up and we would check out the room and see how... Uh, how they did, and more often than not, I would say, or Lori would say, good job. Now, why would we say good job? Because they cleaned the room better than their other sister cleaned her, her room? No. 
cleaned her room better than mom cleaned her room? No. We would say good job if they did it right. There were some things we were expecting done when they cleaned their room, and if they did it right, we would say good job. And God says unity in the church is good because it is right. Now, folks, stay with me because I don't think the average fundamental, independent, narrow-minded, King James only, red-letter edition, no fun Baptist church member understands how important unity is to God. The opposite is true. It's good because it's right for us to dwell together in unity. But it's also bad when we have division in the church. Or disunity. You ever consider what God hates? I mean, we tend to hate the sin that has hurt us the most. I'm thinking of the mother of one of our black teenagers that you likely see on the news because they like to stir up racial problems in Chicago and they, they, they use the media to do so. And I want to tell you, some of the finest Christian kids we've had in our youth department are black kids. And they're not all druggies, no more than the white kids. And her boy is gunned down, caught in a crossfire. One of the best soul-winning kids we had in our church. You ask that mother, what's the worst sin? What's the worst sin that you can bear? I have a hunch you'd say murder. You've had to go through the dark clouds of immorality. If I asked you what the worst sin is, you'd probably say immorality. If you've, if you've been stolen from and, and some of the men of the previous generation during all the mergers of larger companies where men lost their pensions. That was nothing but stealing. You ask them what ticks them off and what they hate, and they'll likely say stealing. You see a good man in leadership that's lied about and slandered and his reputation drugged through the mud and has to go through months, sometimes years, to prove that they're lying. But once that's out and all those lies are passed, my word, that hurts a man, that hurts a family. And you ask him what he hates, you're defenseless against it. Lying. You ever consider what God hates? He doesn't leave it to our imagination. Proverbs 6 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And the word abomination means he really hates it. You know what number seven is? They that sow discord amongst the brethren. I'm telling you, it's really wrong. Every now and then we'd have members come to our church. I remember one guy come to our church and he was an ex-preacher. And I was young, and I wasn't trained to be a pastor. So if you don't like my sermons, I agree with you. I don't like them either. 
I'm a music graduate. Get over it. I can't sing very well either, so don't ask me to sing. In fact, preaching might be a hair better than the singing part. We had an ex-preacher come, and man, I'll tell you what, just something shifty. So I went out to visit his home, and he's given, I mean, he's talking a big game. And he stepped out of the room, and Lori says, I, I think he was a former pastor. And I said, no, nah, he's not a former pastor. Because I'm thinking I wouldn't follow him from here to the garbage can, but, you know, that, that might be profiling, that might be prejudging, but no, nah, he's not a pastor. If he was, he would have told me so. She said, no, I think he was. I said, well, I'll figure out a way to get it out of him. So when he came back in the room, I said, were you ever a pastor? (laughs) Why waste time? (laughs) And he he goes, well, yeah, yeah, I was. But preacher, I'm not going to hurt you. I said, well, no, you're not. I said, no, you're not. Well, I'm not going to come in and cause division. I said, no, you won't. I got 12 godly deacons that know how to handle problems that I've trained according to the Bible. But I also got 12 men in our church that love me. I don't know how their relationship with God is, but they love me. And if you hurt me, they're going to come deal with you. I don't know if they'll handle it biblically, but I do know they'll come to the altar and ask God to forgive them. He didn't stay long. Some people just think they're in a church to hold the pastor accountable. And I want to tell you something. That's someone that's trying to sow discord. God hates it. When Lori started having these babies every year, you know, I was freaking out. I thought, my word, where are we going to put them all? I had to get a bigger car and now we're looking for a bigger house, and we, we moved south of the church a little bit and get a little bit bigger house. It had, really, was on the ground floor, it was the same size, but we had an attic that we converted, converted, we're Baptists, converted into a girl's dormitory to where three of them could stay upstairs and two downstairs, the two younger ones next to mom and dad. And so, you know, we went through all that process and moved and all that, and I came home one night from work, and I was dead tired, and I was... Uh, I walked into our back bedroom, and right next to our our bedroom door was the little one's uh, bedroom door, and they had a bunk bed in there, and um, the baby was on the lower bunk, and and the next one up was in the upper bunk, and and so I I thought, yeah, I need to see at least two of my kids, and so I went in the room, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Not two of them, all five of them. We're sleeping in the lower bunk together. <laughs> Thinking, why did we move? <laughs> and I mean to tell you, it was a mess. No air conditioning, hot August night. They all had long hair like their mother, and it just looked like, well, it looked like Cousin It. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just a pile of hair with arms and legs sticking out from underneath, and and yet it touched my heart. And I called Lori. I said, Lori, come here. And I put my arm around her. I said, isn't this precious? I mean, I'm tearing up. Isn't this precious? You know why it was precious? It was the first time that day they were unified. 
Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Five girls in the house. Yeah, it happens, even in a preacher's home. Hallelujah. But when they were asleep, they were unified. You know, the sad thing is, there are some churches, I pray it's not yours, they have a sweet spirit of unity, but they're asleep. And quite frankly, the only way they can have unity is to go to sleep. What do you mean asleep? No souls being saved. Church not adding new members. No sin being conquered. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. No influence in the community. The salt losing its savor. For most churches, they're asleep. They'd rather fight over somebody toe-tapping to a song or a woman wearing a pair of breeches and not win a soul to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that music isn't important and dress isn't important, but folks, there's a bigger war going on out there. And for most churches, they go to sleep. You know as well as I do, there's churches all around here. And you'd walk in, they're friendly, nice, sweet people. But they're asleep. God wants His church to be awake, to walk circumspectly, to redeem the time, because the days are evil. And we must unify together to get the job done. God says, it's good because it's right. Now, the second word I'd like to focus on is the word pleasant. I like this one because it deals with our emotions. Um, it just feels good when the church is unified. It, it feels good when the home is unified. It, there's nothing wrong with that feeling good. Now, the world says, if it feels good, do it. That's bad advice. God says, if it's right, do it. Because not everything that's right feels good. You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? When people, when we start, when Lori started having those kids every year, you wouldn't believe some of the stupid comments people come up and throw at me and ask me. And I have to be nice because I'm the pastor. And I have to answer them in a political or biblical kind for one minute, I'd like to just lose my salvation to say it like I'd like to say it and then be done with it. Hallelujah. Do you know what causes that? Are you trying for a son? Why, is there a different method I don't know about? So I had to come up with a respectable answer. And so people come up and make their stupid remarks and I'd say, I just love to spank. <laughs> told my wife man that was a blast I'm going to wear this girl out let's have another and then I got down two and I, wow this is really cool let's have three or four or five ought to be really good just run them through the line I love to spank now God says spanking is good but it's not pleasant to the administrator or the recipient 
It's good, but it's not pleasant. Someone told my mom that if you want your boy to grow up and be a healthy, healthy man, you need to feed your son green peas. I'd like to find that woman. <laughs> and so my mom started her crusade to get those little green dirt bombs down my throat. Now, folks, I'm an old man now, and, I, and I, I've tried to overcome some of those childish mentalities that I had, but I still can't stand even the aroma of peas. Just the aroma makes me nauseated. And people out of respect and being polite, they will, they will serve peas, but they'll put the bowl at the other end of the table so I'm not subjected to it. But what they forget is there are people down at the other end of the table and they talk. And when they talk, they blow air. When they blow air, that aroma comes up to this end of the table and I get sick. I hate peas. I mean, they're just horrible. It's torture. It's what you give your kid for punishment. <laughs> My mom, she was out to make me eat those things. She would put them in things that she knew I liked. She'd put them in mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. She would camouflage them in vegetable soup, hoping that maybe I would not see them. But after every bowl of soup, there'd be five, six, seven, eight little green dirt bombs sitting at the bottom of the bowl. One day she came in and she put, put them in with corn off the cob. I love corn off the cob. And she put it in there and I said, Mom, you're not even making it hard. Green, yellow, it's too easy. I, I can see them. One day she got so mad, I think I was pretty close to being a preteen or 13 right around there. And she got mad. I mean, she just, she said, Bruce, it's all in your head. Well, maybe. But my head is part of me, and I <laughs> got to keep it. It's all in your head. You're going to eat these. And I'm not making this up. She had a tablespoon of Hershey's chocolate syrup. And she put three of those green little dirt bombs in that spoon, and she shoved that spoon in my mouth. And I mean, I was licking, I was licking the chocolate, because I love chocolate. I, and I cleaned that spoon off, and I licked the front of my mouth and my teeth. And I don't know what it was. Some of you are licking with me. Would you stop it? <laughs> I'm telling the story. <laughs> so the movement of my mouth made my mom think that I was actually chewing the peas. I was not intentionally being deceitful. I was just licking off the chocolate. So she left the room, and when she did, <laughs> three, three green balls, unscathed, not a scratch on them. I'm here to tell you, peas might be good for you, but they're not pleasant. Diets are good for you. Some of us need to try it. <laughs> Diets, they say, are good for you, but they're not pleasant. You've ever been one? Oh, my word. Your personality changes in three hours. I mean, you just got up. They say that death for a believer is good. But it's not pleasant. 
Say what you want. We try to use a little reverse psychology. We're going to celebrate their life. Yeah, I know what you're doing. You're trying to help people deal with their sorrow. I get it. But let's be real. They're sorrowing. Death is our enemy. You get the news tomorrow, you got cancer, you're going to do your best to fight it. You get news tomorrow that you're that your arteries are blocked up, you're going to consider either some type of natural healing or bypass surgery or stents. Why? You don't want to die. Why? Death is our enemy. And we sorrow, but we don't sorrow like those without hope. But we do sorrow. Death is good for the believer, but it's not pleasant. God says, unity in the church it's not only right, but it feels good. I wish I could take a busload of you folks up to Chicago and see our church. We probably have one of the most integrated churches in Chicagoland. It's incredible. I mean, we got them from all over the world. It's funny because the media tries to cause division between white folks and black folks. And you don't understand. The Bible refers to nations. We got 12, 14 different black nations in our church. Nigerians, West Africans, Ghanans, Bahamians, Jamaicans. To us white guys, to us gringos, they're all black. They struggle with each other. Well, that's not so weird. Have you ever considered the diversity amongst us white folks? Go to New England and tell me they're not different. And if they seem somewhat normal, all right, go to Seattle, Washington. I've been there numerous times. They're different. California. And anyone know anyone from Texas? They're really different. I'm not going to go there, but when I was young, I didn't like Texans. When I went to Bible college, I went to, te- to Bible college and got in the dorm, and there was this loud, arrogant, egotistical, prideful, show-off group of guys, Texans. They're braggarts. They're egotistical. They're pri- they think they're better than anybody. And when I say that to them, they just look at me like, Is there something wrong with that? That's who we are. And and I mean, I couldn't stand them. I I didn't like them. First guy called me from Texas to come preach at his church. I'm not making this up. I said, I don't like you. I don't think I can help you. And he just laughed. He said, oh, Brother Humbert, you don't know me. I said, let's keep it that way. He said, I'm going to make you like Texas. And uh, I don't think that's possible. But over the years, I've matured, and now I love Texans, and I have a different heart, different spirit. And quite frankly, I, I actually have a whole different feeling about them. I, I really believe every Texan born in Texas, born in Texas, not transplants, but every Texan born in Texas, I think they're all going to heaven. I do. Because none of them have ever reached the age of accountability. That's... <laughs> I'm just joking. 
I'm just saying, do you know how diverse our churches are, even if you are all of one color? I mean, there's diversity. In my church, we have White Sox fans, Cub fans. You say, what's that got to do with church? Nothing. But if I want to stir things up, if I can't get them to respond to God, I'll, I'll stir it up. I'll show them how sinful they are. I'll just compliment Cubs or something. And the White Sox fans, they, they're ticked off. They're mad. They're seeing me after church. What's the problem, preacher? I mean, I can divide it right down the middle, and I don't like either one of them. I'm a Cleveland Indian fan. Now, some of you are going to say Guardians. Okay, if that's what you want to go wrong with that, go ahead. Cleveland Indians for me, okay? Thank you. <laughs> and we actually got people in our church that don't like sports. Can they truly be saved? I mean, God has given us the extra spiritual people's network. ESPN, oh, I've got to spell it out for you folks. That's a sign from heaven, hallelujah. How can you not like sports? I'm just saying, God wants his church to be unified. And you get diversity in your church, and yet you have unity, it feels good. Now thirdly, let me, let me suggest how it should be accomplished. Amos 3, verse 3, asks a question. Can two, walk to a get, can two walk together except they be agreed? Answer, no. We have to agree on something. If we're going to walk together in fellowship, if we're going to be unified, we have to agree on something. And I'm going to suggest three things that the church needs to agree on. One is mentioned in our text. First of all, we must agree on the position of authority. In verses 2 and 3, he gives us illustrations. He, he talks about a ritual that they're very familiar with, and that is the ordination of the, of the high priest. And in that ordination, they take oil and they pour it out on the priest's head and it comes down on his beard and onto his skirts and then down to the floor. And sometimes people don't catch the illustration, so another one is added in verse number 3. He points to the dew on Mount Hermon and Mount Zion. And he says, the mountains out there, do you notice how a little dew starts at the top of the mountain and works its way down and before long it collects and it forms into a powerful river? God says, if you're going to have unity in the church, first of all, it's got to start at the top. We have to agree on the position of authority. And in the local New Testament church, God has given the church a pastor. Now listen to me tonight. Do you know who the number one target of the devil is in your church? The pastor. Shame, shame, shame on you. You'd ever speak an evil word against him. He's the number one target in this church. If you can't get him, he'll go for his wife. Can't get her, they'll go after their kids. Because you know, some of you have been in churches where they had a good pastor, and for good reasons and bad reasons, when he left, 
It sets a church back. A church is blessed with their pastor. That doesn't mean that the pastor is better than anyone. In fact, every pastor that I know, I don't know all of them, but every pastor I know doesn't even think that he's worthy to be a pastor. He'd be the first one to say, I don't even know if I'm the best Christian in the church. I'm not the, I, I know I'm, sometimes I'm not the best Christian in the church. My wife can take first place over me at times. Most of us preachers, I'm not well educated. I have a three-year music certificate. Ooh. I don't have a network of buddies and friends in the business world. I don't have a lot of wealth. Uh-uh. I'm not, well, I was going to say I'm not the best looking man in the church, but that might be a possibility. <laughs> I'm just saying, most preachers are humbled that God would call them. Psychology today, and I don't know how they come up with these conclusions, but psychology today said the most insecure professional in our country are clergy. Why would that surprise us? God says he takes the foolish to display his power. Those that are weak to show his strength. I'm suggesting that if God has blessed your church with a godly pastor, and in my humble opinion, he has, then you need to follow him as he follows Christ. You need to take care of him. You need to love on him. You know who gets the hit in the home? Dad. He's the target in the home. Everything on television is anti-authority. Everything and all the sitcoms are anti-dads. And if you get any dad on a sitcom that stands up for anything that is somewhat right, they make him look like a baboon, a fool, a, a jerk. Why? Because our world hates authority. You want a matriarchal society? Have at it. I'll be out of here. But you just do some research in world history and study matriarchal societies and see how well those people have it. I'm telling you, God's plan is the best plan. But at the same time, we would never excuse a husband for abusing his wife or his children. That's just as wrong. And a pastor that abuses or uses the church for his own personal good is wrong. But you get a godly man that loves God, that tries to lead his people to live a holy and a godly life, you ought to protect him. You ought to love him. My church back home, they are so good to Lori and I, probably too good. We'd take, you know, I, I got five, you know, one good thing about staying in one place for a long time, you accumulate vacation time. I mean, I got up to five weeks a year and all the fellowship meetings I wanted to go to. Well, five weeks a year, 
was hardly enough for me towards the end. That's why I retired. So, but we would take all of it at once, or at least four weeks at a time. I'd go four weeks in the winter to either Florida or Hawaii. Man, I want to go where it's warm. Chicago only has two seasons, Fourth of July and winter. And so for me, get out of that cold, that's what we did. And our deacons, some of them are good friends of ours. We led to Christ or helped bring them to church. They'd say, preacher, we hate when you're gone. I'll tell you, when you come back, you're so refreshed, it's worth it. Y'all take care of your preacher. Y'all let them know you love them. You ought to pray for them daily. We must agree on the position of authority. Secondly, we must agree on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. As much as our church loved us back home, I'd go on vacation for four or five weeks, and the first couple of times it just threw me for a loop. The staff would call me and say, hey, we had five saved today. We baptized three, and I'm thinking, how can that be? I'm not there. I just want them to hold it together until I get back. They can't, they can't move forward without the wondrous one. <laughs> no, our church, as much as they love their pastor, they adore Jesus. They worship Jesus. When I announced my retirement from pastoring, several people didn't like it, told me so. But they knew it was right. And today our church is moving just as strong as it was when I was there. Two years ago, during COVID, their missions offering went up $30,000. This is a church of, well, then they weren't even hitting 200 because of COVID. Last year, their faith promise was another 30000 increase. Last year, we will conclude it here in a couple of weeks, our missions offering, Faith Promise, was $366,000. God's working there. And the wondrous one isn't even pastoring there. I'm just saying, Jesus is number one. We Lift up Jesus Christ. That's why we sing about Him. That's why we praise Him. That's why we talk about Him. Because Jesus is enough. If we didn't get a single blessing after we got saved, Jesus is enough. He is God in the flesh. Top that, scientist. Morph into a caterpillar, if you please. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and lived a sinless life so that he could lay down his life for you and for me, because that would be the only permanent payment for sin. The Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, was just strictly a covering. Jesus' blood washes our sin away. That was God's blood. Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and buried in the tomb. Three days later, I'll take those keys, please. And up from the grave he arose. 
He's alive tonight and forevermore will be. Science, technology, come on, Zuckerberg. Come on, scientist. Come up with something that's even close to that. Jesus is everything. He can take up a messed up girl. The kind of girl that you would tell your son, don't marry a girl like her. He can get into that girl's life, change her, and she become a godly mother and a faithful wife and a wonderful church member. He can take a man that's so strung out he can hardly find his way home. The boy that you would tell your girls, he may be good looking, but stay away from him. He's no good. But Jesus can go into his life and turn him completely around and save that man and change him and make him a new man. And now he's a, now he's a good husband and a, and a good daddy and a good church member. And for crying out loud, there are preachers today that once were there. Jesus is amazing. That's why he must have preeminence in the church. Then thirdly, we must agree on the purpose for unity. I hope you're still awake. And now the hour is late. But you need to hear this real clear. What is the purpose for unity in the church? So that you have a safe place to raise your family? So your kids will hear the right kind of music? To be around clean, wholesome people? Is the church for you to have a a social life that doesn't involve drugs and alcohol and, and the things that sort of tear up people's lives? That's not what the church is for. That's one of the benefits of church. The church is in business to make disciples. And that starts with winning souls. I challenge you tonight, those of you that have never won a soul to Christ, you ought to feel very uncomfortable at this point in time. How can we for a moment think we're followers of Christ if we're not fishing for men. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. He took on the responsibility. He's not counting on you for anything except to follow him. You stay close to the Lord. He will not only enable you, he will not only equip you, he will energize you to want to tell others about Christ. Too many of our churches today think that our church is just so that we have a a place, a solace of rest. But church is so that we can win souls, bring the lost. Is that not what unity is for? Can you hear the Lord praying in the garden? John chapter 17, do you remember that night on the eve of his crucifixion? 
wasn't just a now I lay me down to sleep prayer. He sweat. It's a pretty intense prayer. Sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, the good book says. This is not just a casual chat with his heavenly Father. But in that prayer, he says, Father, I pray that they will be one as we are one. Now catch this. That the world may know that thou hast sent me. Then he repeats himself and says it a little differently. That they would know that you have sent me, that I'm the son of the living God. The purposes of unity is so that we can unite together as as diverse as we may be. We're going to unite together so that together we can influence a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of unity in the church. And if you just take unity just to heap it upon your own self-lust and your desires to have a nice family, religious, Christian, Baptist, social club, you mark it down, it won't be long before Jesus checks out. When you read Revelation 3, He's knocking on the door of a church trying to get in. They didn't even know He wasn't there. They got so good at having church, they could have it and actually enjoy the services, and God wasn't even in the presence. We need some churches that are filled with the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, you see people coming down the aisle and getting saved. I led this man to the Lord. I led this lady to the Lord. They... You baptize them and church envelop them with your love and encouragement. They've got a whole world of friends that are out there that doubt churches. And once you win one or two, they're going to go tell their friends. Remember John 4? Come see a man. The church is in business to reach the lost. One man said, the church that ceases to fulfill her purpose surrenders her right to exist. And tonight, God wants you to be unified so that we can reach the lost and disciple them to be like Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that something this week, maybe one sentence, maybe one thought, maybe one truth, the Holy Spirit of God has stuck in your heart so that when this week is over and you get back into the routine of life, that you're not going to be the same. But you're going to grow in grace. You're going to mature in the Spirit. And I pray that this church will go from a good church or a very good church, to a great church, to a God church, where the Spirit of God has free reign. Behold! How good 
how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Exclamation point. Let's stand to our feet. Let's end the meeting with an old-fashioned prayer meeting. Surely God spoke to you this week. Humble yourself before Him. If He talked to you, talk to Him. Be polite. Humble yourself before Him. Talk to Him tonight. Pray for your pastor. Pray for a revival of soul winning. Pray for unity in the church. Father, we've done the best that we can, and I, I really hope and pray that the message tonight was a blessing and a help and a challenge to this sweet church. Thank you for crossing paths with me and Brother Metzinger to where I'd have this privilege of being in this church. And I pray that you're pleased with our response to your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You come as the music plays. Um, would ask that you would pray for the Andersons. They're on the road. Um, Brenda's aunt passed away. They're going to a funeral uh, in Arkansas. And then uh, Friday, uh, Nathan Knutson's going to have knee surgery. I blew that all out. So they're going to do a rebuilding of his knee. So if you would uh, pray for Doc and pray for uh, Miss Sharon and Nathan as he has that surgery. And then 
If you would pray for the Humberts as they get on the road, that God would protect them and keep them as they go serving him. And then uh, my wife's going to leave tomorrow, and uh, her and two other ladies are hosting a pastor's wives retreat. And it's good for uh, pastor's wives to get away from under the stress of ministry. And uh, they're going to be doing some teaching. Uh, two other ladies are going to be doing some teaching. And uh, they'll be gone till Saturday. I think she gets home. But if you just pray that that would be a great blessing. And uh, got pastor's wives coming from uh, New Mexico, Oklahoma, uh, all going to converge on Branson. I really wonder if it's more of a shopping trip, but anyhow, uh, they're they're going to burden that the, these ladies have to be a blessing to other pastors' wives. So pray that uh, that will happen. And I'm looking forward to Sunday. Amen. Looking forward to being back in the Lord's house and seeing what He for us. I'm going to ask uh, the Humberts to go to the back. He does have a book table. Um, I've been reading that book. I'm just like a couple of chapters in. It's well worth it. It's 15 bucks, and uh, I'm sure uh, that he would love to see you have one. And so if you're interested in that, uh, there's no coloring pages, though, okay? If uh, Texan's looking for something to color, that's just not going to work. Sorry, Aaron. But uh, anyhow, uh, it would be a blessing to you, and I think you would enjoy it. Let's close in a word of prayer, and we'll look forward to being together on Sunday. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for bringing the Humberts, and thank you for allowing him to be uh, humble before you and to seek those messages that we need. I know every night and uh, every message I've been challenged and encouraged uh, in the things of God. I pray that that is the feeling of uh, our whole church, Lord, that we might seek to walk with you in a greater way, that we might serve you and be used of you to impact this community for Christ. We realize the uh, lateness of the hour in our world and how that uh, the coming of Christ is imminent. And Lord, I pray that we just be faithful in telling others and witnessing for you, uh, Lord, until that time that you would call us home. Be with the Andersons on the road, keep them safe and uh we pray that you would be with Nathan as he has surgery on Friday. You'd guide the doctors, give them wisdom beyond themselves, and allow everything to go well there. We thank you for our time together. We ask these things in your blessed and most holy name. Amen. You're dismissed.